Welcome to Bandcamp. My name's Dan. And I'm Jennifer, and this is the podcast where we read banned books to try to find out why they were banned in the first place. And this season, we are reading Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, one chapter at a time, out loud. So that being said, the following will be spoiler heavy because we're reading the book out loud. So, <laughs> And we've never read it, so every single word is a spoiler. Uh, so spoilers ahead. If you want to binge it, you can start at uh, season two, episode one, and catch up with us. Or if you're cool with that, just, again, know that spoilers are coming up. This is the episode where the game changes, Jennifer. Yes, he was in a perilous position the last time we left him. Will you do a quick recap, please? Well, the last episode, of course, and anything story-wise is overshadowed by my acting, my voice acting. So if you want a real treat, go back and listen to the kid, knock it out of the park with his... Panache. (laughs) I'll go with that. That's not the word. I'll go with it. Panache. I'm not sure if that's right. Okay, so the last episode, the plan was that Montague was going to go back to work with Faber in his ear, in, in Faber's little earbud, that he could listen to Beatty and suss it out if, before we do anything, let's take our time, let's see if Beatty is a good guy or a bad guy. We got plenty of time. Don't freak out. Let's go to the firehouse. You pretend everything is normal. Let's see what's going on. And of course, that gets thrown out the window because he Monte goes to the, the firehouse. He sits down to play poker with Beatty. And three seconds into it, fire alarm goes off. They jump in the salamander, the orange salamander. Don't worry about it. The salamander's belly full of kerosene, ready to go. Go to the next house that they're going to start on fire or at least burn the books in. And wouldn't you know it, it's Montag's house. The last section ended with them pulling up to Montag's house and him going, "Uh, we stopped at my house. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good job on that. So with that being said, we will begin this episode and the final section, number three, called Burning Bright. Lights flickered on and house doors opened all down the street to watch the carnival set up. Montag and Beatty stared, one with dry satisfaction, the other with disbelief, at the house before them, this main ring in which torches would be juggled and fire eaten. Well, said Beatty, now you did it. Old Montag wanted to fly near the sun, and now that he's burnt his damn wings, he wonders why. Didn't I hint enough when I sent the hound around your place? Montag's face was entirely numb and featureless. He felt his head turn like a stone carving to the dark place next door, set in its bright border of flowers. Beatty snorted. Oh no, you weren't fooled by that little idiot's routine, now were you? Flowers, butterflies, leaves, sunsets, oh hell, it's all in her file. I'll be damned, I've hit the bullseye. Look at that sick look on your face. A few grass blades and the quarters of the moon. What trash. What good did she ever do with all that? Jesus. This guy's going to go to his local Target and start knocking down the pride flags. (laughs) No rainbows. No flowers. No happiness. Montag sat on the cold fender of the dragon. Moving his head half an inch to the left, half an inch to the right, left, right, left, right, left. It's been a while since we've counted. Uh, uh, uh. She saw everything. She didn't do anything to anyone. 
she just let them alone. Alone? Hell, she chewed around you, didn't she? One of those damned do-gooders with their shocked, holier-than-thou silences. Their one talent making others feel guilty. God damn, they rise like the midnight sun to sweat you in your bed. So there's some of that vulgarity that we heard so much about two episodes ago. The goddamn? Yeah. All right, I guess. The front door opened. Mildred came down the steps, running, one suitcase held with a dreamlike clenching rigidity in her fist as a beetle taxi hissed to the curb. Mildred! She ran past with her body stiff, her face flowered with powder, her mouth gone without lipstick. Oh, so she doesn't have a mouth. Uh... Where's my mouth? I couldn't <laughs> find it. I'm in a hurry. Do, where do you, do you have like your mouth ready to go like in an emergency go, go sack or whatever they're called? An emergency go sack? Aren't they called go sacks? Go bag? I don't think it's go sack. Emergency go sack. Dana's close. It's often called a go bag or bug out bag. This is a portable kit that contains the items one would require to survive for 72 hours when evacuating from a disaster. I don't know why he had sack on his mind. I'll give him a C for effort. Mildred, you didn't put in the alarm. She shoved the bag into the waiting beetle, climbed in, and sat mumbling. Poor family, poor family. Oh, everything gone. Everything, everything gone now. Beatty grabbed Montag's shoulder as the beetle blasted away and hit 70 miles an hour far down the street, gone. There was a crash like the falling parts of a dream fashioned out of warped glass, mirrors, and crystal prisms. Montag drifted about as if still another incomprehensible storm had churned him to see Stoneman and Black wielding axes, shattering window panes to provide cross ventilation. The brush of a death's hand moth against a cold black screen. Montag, this is Faber. Do you hear me? What's happening? This is happening to me, said Montag. What a dreadful surprise, said Beatty. For everyone nowadays knows, absolutely is certain that nothing will ever happen to me. Others die. I go on. There are no consequences and no responsibilities. Except there are. But let's not talk about them, huh? By the time the consequences catch up with you, it's too late, isn't it, Montag? So if this was you, Jen, because mm. I know you, you are a nonviolent person. Mm. And I think I'm a nonviolent person. But if this was happening to you, what would you do if you were Montag right now? I don't think it matters. Like, it's not like he really lost Mildred. She was never there for him, really. The house isn't that great for him. It's just a bunch of TV walls. So he really didn't lose anything right now. Well, but he lost his job. Oh. This has got to look bad on your quarterly review, Jen. Aren't they going to make him burn his house down? I thought he was going to fully participate in this. Really? I guess I didn't think that through all the way, though, because it's like he is the criminal he's the criminal so he he broke the law yeah it's weird i think i am not a violent person but i would take my fireman's axe and i would first of all i'd hit stoneman right in the back i'd hit uh black right in the back i'd try to break their backs and i'd go after Beatty. Kush, kush. that's my ne- that's my sound when i go after someone's spine with an axe <laughs> I think I wouldn't do that, wouldn't you? Like, what do you have to lose? Yeah, and then you could just, like, be on the run, run over to, yeah. well, who knows how. Faber. How, Faber. Yeah. Listen, I'm coming over, buddy. Leave the door open. I, I tap my ear. Are you listening in here? And I'd knock on my ear. He might 
Like, who knows what the surveillance technologies are, though, in the future? Beatty must have known. Did the hound find them out, or did Mildred call yeah, them in? Yeah, maybe the hound. I don't know what's going on with Mildred. Because Mildred seems like she had a heads up or something. She packed her go sack. Oh, her go, her go sack, absolutely. <laughs> Put her, forgot her face, wasn't in the go sack, and she hit the she hit the beetle jet. But yeah, it seems like he has nothing to lose. So, I mean, why not turn the, the kerosene on the others and run off? I would just like to hit Beatty, just punch him right in the neck, just for saying all the stuff he said about Clarice. Yeah. Yeah, that... I want to talk about my dead friend like that. I'd hit you right in the neck his... with an axe handle. <laughs> Montag. Can you get away, run, asked Faber. Monta See, Faber has the same idea as you. Yeah, just turn the kerosene torch onto them and then run off. Light it up. <laughs> Montag walked but did not feel his feet touch the cement and then the night grasses. Beatty flicked his igniter nearby and the small orange flame drew his fascinated gaze. What is there about fire that's so lovely? No matter what age we are, what draws us to it? Beatty blew out the flame and lit it again. It's perpetual motion, the thing man wanted to invent but never did, or almost perpetual motion. If you let it go on, it'd burn our lifetimes out. What is fire? It's a mystery. It's not really a mystery, it's chemistry. Scientists give us gobbledygook. <laughs> I never saw that word written out. <laughs> Printed out, yeah. Scientists give us gobbledygook about friction and molecules, but they don't really know. It's real beauty. All right. Mm. So, so Beatty is one of those. Yeah. Don't trust the science. Yeah. Science. <laughs> I, I, science gives us all this gobbledygook molecules. <laughs> I did my own research, <laughs> but they don't really know. It's real beauty is that it destroys responsibility and consequences. Problem gets too burdensome, then into the furnace with it. That reminds me, today I actually was using a flamethrower on a problem that got too out of hand. What was it? Please say a plant. Yeah, it was the weeds between the cracks in, in our driveway. It's like, I'm not going to spend eight hours on this, so I got a flamethrower just like that. Just First of all, you have a flamethrower? I got it just for this purpose. It's great. It's, it's chemical-free weed killer. It's a mystery. I mean, there's some gobbledygook on the label, I'm sure, but I can't <laughs> trust that. A problem gets too burdensome, then into the furnace with it. Now, Montag, you're a burden, and fire will lift you off my shoulders. Clean, quick, sure. Nothing to rot later. Antibiotic, aesthetic, practical. Ah, well, it sounds like Beatty's a problem. <laughs> what? Like, I would just right then, if I was Montag, just turn the, the That's flame gun on him and go, well, you're a burden to me. Bye-bye. Montag stood looking in now at this queer house, made strange by the hour of the night, by murmuring neighbor voices, by littered glass, and there on the floor, their covers torn off and spilled out like swan feathers, the incredible books that looked so silly and really not worth bothering with, for these were nothing but black type and yellowed paper and raveled binding. Mildred, of course, she must have watched him hide the books in the garden and brought them back in. Mildred. I wanted you to do this job all by your lonesome, Montag. Not with kerosene and a match, but piecework with a flamethrower, your house, your cleanup. Montag, can't you run? Get away? That must be Faber. No, cried Montag helplessly. The hound, because of the hound. 
Faber heard, and Beatty, thinking it was meant for him, heard. Yes, the hound's somewhere about the neighborhood, so don't try anything. Ready? Ready. Montag snapped the safety catch on the flamethrower. Fire! A great nuzzling gout of fire leapt out to lap at the books and knocked them against the wall. He stepped into the bedroom and fired twice, and the twin beds went up in a great simmering whisper, with more heat and passion and light than he would have supposed them to contain. He burnt the bedroom walls and the cosmetics chests because he wanted to change everything, the chairs, the tables, and in the dining room, the silverware and plastic dishes, everything that showed that he had lived here in this empty house with a strange woman who would forget him tomorrow who had gone and quite forgotten him already, listening to her seashell radio pour in her and in on her as she rode across town, alone. And as before, it was good to burn. He felt himself gush out in the fire, snatch, rend, rip in half with flame, and put away the senseless problem. If there was no solution, well then now there was no problem either. Fire was best for everything. The book's Montag! The books leapt and danced like roasted birds, their wings ablaze with red and yellow feathers. And then he came to the parlor where the great idiot monsters lay asleep with their white thoughts and their snowy dreams. And he shot a bolt at each of the three blank walls, and the vacuum hissed out at him. The emptiness made an even emptier whistle, a senseless scream. He tried to think about the vacuum upon which the nothingness had performed, but he could not. He held his breath so the vacuum could not get into his lungs. He cut off its terrible emptiness, drew back, and gave the entire room a gift of one huge bright yellow flower of burning. The fireproof plastic sheath on everything was cut wide, and the house began to shudder with flame. When you're quite finished, said Beatty behind him, you're under arrest. The house fell in red coals and black ash. It bedded itself down in sleepy pink-gray cinders, and a smoke plume blew over it, rising and waving slowly back and forth in the sky. It was 3.30 in the morning. The crowd drew back into the houses. The great tents of the circus had slumped into charcoal and rubble, and the show was well over. Montag stood with the flamethrower in his limp hands, great islands of perspiration drenching his armpits his face smeared with soot. The other firemen waited behind him in the darkness, their faces illuminated faintly by the smoldering foundation. Montag started to speak twice and then finally managed to put his thought together. Was it my wife turned in the alarm? Beatty nodded, so it was Mildred. Mm, thanks, Mildred. But her friends turned in an alarm earlier. That I let ride. One way or the other, you'd have got it. It was pretty silly, quoting poetry around free and easy like that. It was the acts of a silly damn snob. Give a man a few lines of verse, and he thinks he's the lord of all creation. You think you can walk on water with your books. Well, the world can get by just fine without them. Look where they got you. In slime up to your lip. If I stir the slime with my little finger, you'll drown. What does he mean by slime? Does he mean like the S word? I mean, now you're in deep shit. And if I steer the shit, you're going to drown. That, that, that <laughs> I mean, I guess so. Montag could not move. A great earthquake had come with fire and leveled the house. And Mildred was under there somewhere and his entire life under there. And he could not move. 
The earthquake was still shaking and falling and shivering inside him, and he stood there, his knees half bent under the great load of tiredness and bewilderment and outrage, letting Beatty hit him without raising a hand. Montag, you idiot! Montag, you damn fool! Why did you really do it? Montag did not hear. He was far away. He was running with his mind. He was gone, leaving this dead soot-covered body to sway in front of another raving fool. Montag, get out of there, said Faber. Montag listened. Beatty struck him a blow on the head that sent him reeling back. The green bullet in which Faber's voice whispered and cried fell to the sidewalk. Beatty snatched it up, grinning. He held it half in, half out of his ear. Montag heard the distant voice calling, Montag, you all right? Beatty switched the green bullet off and thrust it in his pocket. Well. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. So now now the jig is up. Montag is so irresponsible. So, and now he's got Faber in trouble. I don't see a way out of this. You have to kill yeah. Beatty. Well, so there's more here than I thought. I saw you tilt your head listening. First, I thought you had a seashell. But when you turned clever later, I wondered, we'll trace this and drop in on your friend. No, said Montag. He twitched the safety catch on the... Ooh, here we go. He twitched the safety catch on the flamethrower. Beatty glanced instantly at Montag's fingers and his eyes widened the faintest bit. Montag saw the surprise there and himself glanced to his hands to see what new thing they had done. Thinking back later, he could never decide whether the hands or Beatty's reaction to the hands gave him the final push towards murder. Mm-hmm. The last rolling thunder of the avalanche stoned down about his ears, not touching him. Beatty grinned, his most charming grin. Well, that's one way to get an audience. Hold a gun on a man and force him to listen to your speech. Speech away. What'll it be this time? Why don't you belch? Say, that's hard. Why those words together? I can't, yeah, I, I can't I, do I, Beatty. I cannot do Beatty. All right. And I am stepping in once again. <laughs> All right. Let's hear it. Lord Daniel, stage swooner Raymond of the House of Shulls, master thespian and voice actor in the 21st century of our Lord. Well, that's one way to get an audience. Hold a gun on a man and force him to listen to your speech. Oh, well, speech away. What'll it be this time? Oh, I know. Why don't you belch Shakespeare at me, you fumbling snob? There is no terror, Cassius, in your threats, for I am armed so strong in honesty that they pass by me as an idle wind, which I respect not. Well, I don't know why he would turn into Wayne's world. (laughs) (laughs) Which I respect not. How's that? Go ahead now, you secondhand... Uh-huh. Literature. Literature. Why did... Why... Okay, hold on. Literature. Like liqueur. Oh. Literature. (laughs) Literature. I see. I'm fancy. Do you hear me, world? I'm fancy. (laughs) That's not in there. I just... I ad-libbed a little bit. You secondhand literature. Pull the trigger. He took one step toward Montag. Montag only said, We never burned right. Hand it over, guy, (laughs) said Beatty with a fixed smile. And then he was a shrieking blaze, a jumping, sprawling, gibbering. Ouch! Ouch! (laughs) 
Gibbering mannequin. You're burning me, you fool. <laughs> no longer human or known. Oh, oh God, oh God, fire is hot. Oh. <laughs> All writhing flame on the launch. Stoneman Black, can't you see this? <laughs> oh God, this is hot. As Montag shot one continuous pulse of liquid fire on him. Ouch, 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 ouch. <laughs> so funny. There was a hiss like a great mouthful of spittle banging a red hot stove, a bubbling and frothing as if salt had been poured over a monstrous black snail to cause it. Oh, for the love of Willie! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. A bubbling and frothing as if salt had been poured over a monstrous black snail to cause a terrible liquefaction and a boiling over a yellow foam. Montag shut his eyes, shouted, and fought to get his hands at his ears to clamp and to cut away the sound. Beatty flopped over and over and Ouch. over. <laughs> oh, God. And at last twisted in oh, on himself like a charred wax doll and lay silent. Not quite. Hold on. I have a few. Oh, God. Oh, 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 the end is near. Oh, the end is near. Oh, oh, Jesus, this really does. This is hot. And scene. Thank you. Lord Daniel, stage swooner Raymond of the House of Shulls, Master Thespian, and voice actor in the 21st century of our Lord. The other two firemen did not move. Montag kept his sickness down long enough to aim the flamethrower. Turn around. They turned, their faces like blanched meat, streaming sweat. He beat their heads, knocking off their helmets and bringing them down on themselves. Wait a minute. I, He's a killing machine. Yeah, I know. He has that a, that rage issue. Yeah, I know. Like, I don't know if he should kill these guys. Where's the hound from hell? It's out there. Beatty said it's out there. A few blocks away, it's just out there. I don't know what it's doing. Yeah, don't worry about these guys. Just get out. Yeah. That's what I'd do. They fell and lay without moving. The blowing of a single autumn leaf. Did he kill them? Maybe he just hit him in the head. Like knocked him out? Yeah, maybe just hit him. With his fireman's axe. That's what I would have oh, done day yi, one. Yay. He turned and the mechanical hound was there. It was half oh, a... There you mm -hmm, go. Here it comes. Can, can it burn? Or is it like fireproof? What's your best move? Do you either hit him with a fire or do you just go, who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? Not you, I guess. He's dead. <laughs> well, didn't that happen to Terminator? Didn't didn't he catch fire or he was in a, a bomb or something and then he comes out with that eye? Well, yeah, you got to be in a factory where they got molten metal in a pit for some reason. You push the dog in there. That's the only way you can handle a Terminator dog. He turned and the mechanical hound was there. It was half across the lawn, coming from the shadows, moving with such drifting ease that it was like a single solid cloud of black gray smoke blown at him in silence. It made a single last leap into the air coming down at Montag from a good three feet over his head, its spidered legs reaching, the procaine needle snapping out its single angry tooth. Montag caught it with a bloom of fire, a single wondrous blossom that curled in petals of yellow and blue and orange about the metal dog, clad it in a new covering as it slammed into Montag and threw him ten feet back against the bowl of a tree, taking the flame gun with him. 
He felt it scrabble and seized his leg and stabbed the needle in for a moment before the fire snapped the hound up in the air, burst its metal bones at the joints, and blew out its interior in a single flushing of red color like a skyrocket fastened to the street. We need a good Arnold line here, like, I'll be back. Looks like it's time to fetch your destruction. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Montag lay watching the dead alive thing fiddle the air and die. Even now it seemed to want to get back at him and finish the injection, which was now working through the flesh of his leg. He felt all of the mingled relief and horror at having pulled back only in time to have just his knee slammed by the fender of a car, hurtling by at 90 miles an hour. He was afraid to get up, afraid he might not be able to gain his feet at all with an anesthetized leg. Numbness in a numbness, hollowed into numbness. And now, the street empty. The house burnt like an ancient bit of stage scenery. The other homes dark. The hound here, Beatty there. The three other firemen another place. And the salamander? He gazed at the immense engine. That would have to go too. Well, he thought, let's see how badly off you are. On your feet now. Easy, easy there. He stood and he had only one leg. The other was like a chunk of burnt pine log he was carrying along as a penance for some obscure sin. When he put his weight on it, a shower of silver needles gushed up the length of the calf and went off in the knee. He wept. Come on, come on, you. You can't stay here. A few house lights were going on again down the street, whether from the incidents just passed or because of the abnormal silence following the fight. Montag did not know. He hobbled around the rooms, seizing at his bad leg when it lagged, talking and whimpering and shouting directions at it and cursing it and pleading with it to work for him now when it was vital. He heard a number of people crying out in the darkness and shouting. He reached the backyard and the alley. Beatty, he thought, you're not a problem now. You always said, don't face a problem, burn it. Well, now I've done both. Goodbye, Captain. And he stumbled along the alley in the dark. End of passage. <laughs> Crazy. That's good. Crazy. Yeah, he went all out. So now, okay, you know what? Okay, so now he said a, a bunch of people started to come now and look to see, but it was, it's in the middle of the night, right? It's far away. I doubt that that would really happen because they'd all be watching the parlor walls. Like if it's quiet outside, they don't care. They only care if it's something big and exciting to come out and look at. He's got to go through Beatty's burnt body, get the earbud back out. Yeah. Got to take the salamander. Doesn't it have all the tools he needs to get away? Like it's got a big belly full of kerosene. He could aim that yeah. at anybody. It's got all the axes. I'd keep that fire truck. I'd even uh, shovel up the hound. And let Faber try to reprogram Ooh. him into a, a a good guy, good dog, good boy. That's a good boy. That's a good boy. That's a good, 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 good. Totally. It's time for PPP, problematic points to ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter? Did you come across anything that was banworthy? It was definitely violent. Yeah. But we, but violence is, in our society, that is no reason to ban anything. Mm. We're cool with the violence. Well, there was that goddamn in there, which might have been right. That's a low-end swear. Mm. 
It, it really is, but not to some people, you know, to the people who wanted it banned in Orange County, apparently. <laughs> Boy, but I love this chapter. Man, I did I not predict at the beginning mm -hmm. that this is where the game was going to change? You really did. You really knew it. You and I are on the same page, right? We would steal the salamander, maybe throw the hound in there in the back, uh -huh. drive down to Faber's house. In fact, oh, swing over to the fire station. Totally. Load it up. Yep. Go pick up Faber. Mm -hmm. I go, you're coming with me. We're getting another salamander. <laughs> like, let's steal from there. Totally. Or let's plant something in there. Mm-hmm. Because they have all night until the morning crew comes in, right? Correct. Because like you said, I doubt that anyone in the neighborhood, they're so into their TVs, they're not even paying attention. Does he get away? This is the perfect, well, it's not the perfect crime because his house <laughs> burnt down, his wife's gone. <laughs> There's a few bodies in the yard, fully visible. People are, witnesses are coming out of their houses to check it out. I agree with you, Jen. He's got to kill an innocent neighbor. Yeah, I don't know what's next. It's, it's getting to be exciting. All right, there you go. Thanks for being here, everybody. We'll see you next time on Bandcamp. See ya.